God's desire is that we have hope in this lifetime. I don't know about you, but we live in a time when it's very easy to get uh, into uh, despair. It's very easy to get into a place where you lose hope. If you turn on the news stations, I mean, how many news stations do we have now? Like the, I don't know, you get like 100 channels if you get satellite, and about 50 of them are news channels, and there's very little good news that are on there. I mean, they're almost starting to get specific. Like one station, all they do is like child abductions, and I'm like, come on. You know, everybody's kind of got their niche, you know, and so they begin to just portray all of this bad news. But I believe that God calls us to be different. He calls us to live in a place of hope. Even when the doctor says that there's no hope, there's hope. Um, I heard somebody... Uh, who had a diagnosis this week that was not good. But I just believe this. God is bigger, and God will move in our lives and in our hearts. He brings healing. He brings restoration, and he's bigger than those things, and he desires that we have hope. So we're going to continue moving into that this week. Um, I want to talk to you today about the hope that we have in a God of grace. How many of you could use a touch of God's grace in your life? I know I could. I know after weeks like this week, you know, um, it was one of those weeks, you you think you grow up and you get beyond some things, and then you realize it, you just aren't. And, and so I don't know if you have these weeks, if you're married, you got a boyfriend or girlfriend. But, but Susan and I, it's just one of those weeks, you know. I'll just be real, real, real honest with you. But it's kind of like every time she'd be like, Brandon, I'd be like, you know, or, or, or she'd, I'd say, Susan, she'd be like, you know, and it's just kind of on edge, and you just, you know, and I think that's just uh, the reality of marriage at times. But, but it was just one of those weeks. And so I know in my own life, um, in several areas, I could use a touch of God's grace today, and I believe that's what we're here for. Um, so we're going to pray, and uh, I want to read you the scripture, and then we'll go into prayer. But if you have your, your Bible, turn to chapter 9 in the book of Acts. I want to read to you verses 1 through 18. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found, if he found any, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, 
Something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Well, Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that today it would be good seed that finds good soil and produces fruit in our lives. God, that it would begin to change our hearts, that it would begin to give us direction, that it would begin to speak to us, God, in a way maybe like it never has before. Today I ask you, Father, to reveal yourself to us through your word. Reveal who you are in our lives, God. Show us your faithfulness. Show us how you've uh, revealed yourself from creation until now. God, just strengthen us through the power of your grace and help us to walk out of here knowing, God, that you are good, you are on our side. And, Father, that you have a great plan and purpose for our lives. We give you thanks for it. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I was reading through the book of Acts this week, and I don't know about you, but I'm not a guy who likes a lot of violence. I know some guys, they, they love those UFC things, the, the ultimate fighting challenges and all those things where the guys just beat the mess out of each other. And, man, it just bothers me. I just, I don't like seeing people get beat to a pulp. There's just something about it that it just, I don't know. I watch Braveheart and can't sleep at night. You know what I mean? I just lay there and I think about all those poor guys who just gave their life up and they just died. And and I'm just like, man, what a waste. I I watch the war movies. I think about all the young men that that go to battle and don't, and I just, man, it just tears me apart. And then I watch these guys voluntarily beat the, the, the mess out of each other. And, and everybody's like, yeah, that's the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like, ah, it just bothers me. And I don't know. And I was reading about Stephen. And if you go and you look at that, there was a, a martyr whose name was Stephen. And he began to preach about Jesus. And, and all the religious Jews, these, these uh, Pharisees and these legalistic Jews came. And it says that Stephen told them, listen, you're just like your forefathers. You resist the Holy Spirit. And it says that they were cut to the heart. It, one, one translation says that they were, they were furious, but it really means it was something deeper. It was something that just grabbed them on the inside, and they were filled with absolute rage. And so they go, and they take this young man, and, and they take him out, and they, they begin to stone him. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible, the words just sort of become flat on the page. They just don't, we don't see the intensity of the moment. We don't see the life that's in it. And what I began to think about is what Stephen had to have gone through. I want you to think about this. Sometimes they would take, take the person they were stoning and just to get them where they couldn't run away from the stones, they would throw them off of like a cliff. They would throw them off of some elevation, off of a roof, off of something so that it would actually cripple them to the point that they couldn't move. So that then they could begin to pelt them. With stone. Sometimes they would take them and they would just tie them hand and foot and lay them out there defenseless and they would just begin to hit them with stones and kill them. Sometimes they'd tie them to a pole. They would tie them up and they'd begin to hit them with stones that way. They'd begin to kill them in that way. Sometimes they would just take them and surround them with a, a large group of people so that they couldn't go anywhere and they'd just start hitting them. And the ones who always went first were the witnesses. There always had to be two or more witnesses and those witnesses would cast the first stone. And hit the person. And if the, wit- the stones of the witnesses didn't kill them, then everybody else got to pitch in. Which sounds a lot like what happened to Stephen. But I don't know, I just started thinking about that. In my mind, I could just see this young man who the Bible says his face was like an angel. 
His countenance was, countenance was good. It was clean. He was, he was a pure man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And his face showed it. And yet they take him out and they put him down there. And they just begin to kill him with stones. And the Bible tells us that there was one who was there. Who was watching it all happen. And it says that the people would, who were stoning him laid their clothes at his feet. And he was standing there watching it all. And it was Saul who would later become Paul. And he's sitting there watching the entire thing take place. Now, if that's me, my stomach's turned inside out. But somehow for Paul, it was this thing that, that invigorated him. It was this thing that says that he went from there and he started, in pers- started persecuting the church even more. He saw this stoning of the, the, the death of this innocent guy. And he goes and he begins to persecute the church even more. He got letters to go to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, see, there were, there were about 10,000 Jews in Damascus that met in the synagogues. And he had a letter that he could go and arrest any of them, put them in jail, do whatever he wanted to to them. And so he's on the way to Damascus because he had gotten word that there were some followers of the way who were in Damascus. And he was going to make sure that none of them would convert to Christ. So what was he going to do? He was going to kill and imprison every Christian he could get his hands on. So this is the guy that we're seeing here in Acts chapter 9. This is the guy on the way to Damascus. This is the guy who, who God reveals himself to right here in Acts chapter 9. See, I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I take a whole different approach. You know, I'm like, I'm like coming down from heaven. I might have shown myself to him, but it wasn't to bring him into the kingdom. It had just been like just smoking. Those guys, all they would have seen was like an ash pile right there. It is just flame, one flame, just big ash pile. Like on the cartoons when they get blown up, it's just a little ash pile sitting there. That's what I would have done. And yet God somehow in his amazing grace takes Paul, who by his own right was the chief of sinners, by his own right didn't deserve to be an apostle. And yet God says, I have a plan and a purpose for this man's life and I am going to bring him into the kingdom. And so Paul's walking along. Look at verse four and, verses 4 and 5 in Acts chapter 9. Verse, beginning in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Listen. The first thing we've got to see about the hope that we find in the God of grace is that he reveals himself to us. You know, the truth of the matter is none of us really deserve the grace that God gives us. It is totally by God's choice. It is totally by his doing that he extends his grace, that he reveals his grace. I don't care if you just got done doing a drug deal or if you just got done preaching a sermon. We all are who we are because of the grace of God. It doesn't matter. We're all sinners. The Bible says that we have all failed. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God still reaches out his hand to bring us back. I guarantee you, every one of us could go back to a time in our lives when we said, I am not worthy of God calling my name. And yet today, he still calls. You hear that? Today, he is still calling you. And he revealed himself even to Paul, 
even to Paul. You see, the thing about it is God's word says in Romans 1.20, and this is the BIV, this is the Brandon International Version, but it says that we should all know that God exists simply from his creation. I mean, it is blatantly obvious that there is a God. Come on, these things didn't happen just by chance. I mean, you look at it, the sun is so predictable that you can set it to the second of when it's going to rise. The sun is so faithful to come up. We can set a calendar. We can set all these things based off of how the earth moves, based off of how the the moon, the sun, all of these things operate together. We can do all of these things because they were set in place by somebody. Billions of galaxies, and yet all of them are in the right place. If you look at your body, cell after cell after cell, DNA, everything working together, and it just came from like some kind of blob of gases and matter. I used to lay in bed at night when I was a teenager and, and I would actually, I would, I would break out in a sweat because I'd be sitting there trying to figure this out, trying to work it out in my head. I'd start out with, with this big bang theory and I'd go back, I'd go from the world all the way back to just kind of this ball of nothing. And then I always got to the same place and it was so doggone frustrating. I was like, where did that come from? Where did the, where'd the dust, where'd the gas, where'd all that stuff come from? And I'd get so frustrated. I just, Argh. and so, okay, okay, maybe it's God. So I go to God and I'm like, okay, working my way back. There was this, there was God, da, 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 got back. I was like, where did God come from? Ah. And it used to be such a stumbling block for me. I, I couldn't figure it out. And then one day it dawned on me. I just believe that God revealed to me. He said, Brandon, maybe it's bigger than you're supposed to understand. Maybe that's why they call it faith. And yet I look around and I see the trees, I see everything, I see the birds, I see how it all works together. I'm like, is it not obvious that there is a God in heaven? Just by looking around, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You don't have to study molecular biology to figure this out. It is just obvious. It is blatant. God's handiwork is everywhere. If we'll just take the time to look at it. I was riding to work today and, and just looking. The sun was coming up. I was coming to the church and I'm, I'm on the way and the sun's coming up. And I'm like, it does it every day. You know what? I don't have to tell it to. I don't have to be the one to tell the sun to rise. It just does it. And from that, I see that, man, there's something bigger. There's somebody bigger than that. Bigger than me who was able to direct it all. And I draw strength from that. I see the faith in that. And here's the thing. God did not have to reveal it to us. God did not have to reveal himself to Paul. But he's chosen to because he loves us and he's a God of grace and he's a God of mercy. The other way that God's revealed himself to us is through his word. He came and and he revealed it to us. He's been telling us from the very beginning. And I'm sorry, but this is just the simple fact that if we can't get in the beginning God created, right? Then we're going to have trouble with the rest of it. Because if God can, this is, I believe this. I believe that one of the reasons we have such a struggle between creation and evolution is because people know if we can undermine the very first thing that the Word of God says, then we can bring into question everything else it says. If we can place doubt and we can place deception in their mind at the very beginning, then we got them the rest of the way because everything else is up for interpretation. But I tell you that I know this, and one day we'll know for sure. We will stand in front of God Almighty, and we will know that he created everything. There will come a day when we are standing there, when we can actually be told all of it. It will finally register in these small little minds of ours. But I'm telling you, it didn't just get here by chance. 
It didn't just happen by chance. And God has been revealing it to us through his word from day one. He was telling all he was trying to do is get the Israelites just to obey him. Just listen to me. Just follow my word and things will go well with you. And then finally God goes, you know what? These knuckleheads just aren't going to get it. These I can tell them and tell them and tell them. And yet they're still not going to get it. And he says, oh, I got an idea. I'll just go down there and I'll live it for them. And that's why John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so the Word became flesh. And when we look at Jesus, we begin to see everything that God is. It says in Hebrews 1.3 that He is the express image of God. And so God, again, is revealing Himself to us. How much grace, how much love does it take for a God to come out of heaven, to leave the angels, to leave everything, take on human flesh, be tempted in every way that we are, and yet was without sin and come and live and die on a cross for us. That is a God of grace. That is a God of love. That's a God who did something that, that I wouldn't have done. And yet he loves us so much that he comes and he reveals himself to us through his grace and his love. Even to the point of becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read verses 8 and 9 to you. It says, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians. This is the guy that we just saw get blinded on the road to Damascus. This is the guy who, who, when he saw the glory of God, it was so magnificent that, that his eyes were covered with like these scales. And it says that when Ananias put his hands on him, that the scales fell off. And after Christ was revealed to him, he never saw the same way again. When he opened his eyes, after those scales fell off, he was a new man. This is the man who's speaking to us in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. One of the things that I see in the God of grace is that grace seals our future. And it becomes an anchor for us today. I can't tell you how many people I talked to this week who were so distraught about their circumstance in life. Person after person after person that I, I talked to that, that were just going through horrible things. They were going through difficult times, whether it was, was business, whether it was um, in their job, whether it was with their family, whatever it might have been, people just going through difficult times. And I just began to think about how badly we need a touch of God's grace. See, Paul had found something that, that no matter what came against him, that no matter what came after him, no matter what the adversary did to him, that it's, it anchored him. He knew that no matter what comes, my future is secure in Christ. No matter what, what comes against me, ultimately, I am okay because I am in Christ. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He understood that. He understood that even when I'm done here on this earth, I've got a better future ahead. 
And when we begin to gain that hope, when we begin to realize that the grace of God has covered our lives, it begins to anchor us here and now. We don't get shaken by everything that comes along. We're not tossed to and fro by the waves and and the wind when the storms of life begin to rage. We don't get thrown around and tossed back and forth. I remember one time we were down at St. George Island. And and we were at the beach and, and it was me and my mom and dad... And, and all my cousins, there was like 90 of us, I don't know, they've got a bunch of cousins. And people I don't know, they come up and hug you, pinch you on the cheek, and you're like, an introduction would have been nice. You know, you just don't even know who they are. But we just had a huge family, we're all down at the beach, and I had my little raft. You've seen those rafts that come with the little thing, you can put the paddles on the, in the little holes, and you can kind of paddle around. And, and I'm down there, and I've got my little boat, and I'm playing. Well, I get out of the boat, and it's kind of sitting right there on the edge of the ocean right where the, the waves and the beach meet, and it's sitting there. And all of a sudden, this huge wind just comes up out of nowhere. And my little tiny ship was tossed kind of thing. It just picks it up, and it just begins to take it across the ocean. I don't, I've never seen anything like it. This thing's flipping end over end, end over end, just going. The wind's just, just taking it. I mean, just going 100 miles an hour. And I'm like, my boat! And so as any six or seven-year-old would say and, and who is so appreciative of their parents and, and just, just thankful for all the blessings that they have, I turned around and looked at them and I said, get it! And, and I mean, it was just like Dake, my oldest son, made over. And, and so my dad, I, I think it was dad, he jumps out there and he starts swimming, trying to get it. And man, this thing is gone. It's like on the way to England or somewhere. I mean, it is gone. And, and I'm just so upset. And it was just like this violent wind just... And my boat's gone. And I'm like, oh, I was ready to go home. I didn't even want to stay anymore. It was just gone. It just as fast as it could be gone. And I'm mad. Mom's mad at me because I'm mad and I'm pouting. and Ruin vacation over a little boat. Dad's like, I'll get you another one. Just hush. But we go in and, and I begin to think about that this week. Just as that came, our lives can be so much like that. Our lives can be so out of control where this wind just comes along and it picks us up and all of a sudden it's just driving us through life. And so many of us are, so many of us are driven and yet we're not driven by the Spirit of God. We're not anchored by the God of grace. We've lost our security in knowing that our future is secure. There is great confidence that comes in realizing that no matter what the winds of life bring, ultimately I'm going to be okay. I remember my mom back several years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And, you know, I got mad. I did the usual. I walked out. I kicked a plant, you know, kicked the dog, um, shot, shot the cat. No, I didn't really. That was, that was a joke. But, but I was mad. And I remember mom and dad talking. And, and mom said, you know, it's going to be all right. And my dad was like, well, yeah, I mean, okay. And she goes, no, I know ultimately it's going to be all right. No matter what happens, I just know that in the end, I'm going to be fine. And there was security there. There was confidence there. There was this knowing there that no matter what comes to my way, in the end, I am okay because I am in Christ. And today, praise God, she's healed. She's well. God healed her, made her whole. And yet we can have this confidence. We can have this security. And so many people walk around today who do not have it, who live in lack of hope, this place of despair, simply because we don't realize how secure we are in Christ. The Bible says that once you give your life to Him, no one can come and take you out of His hand. 
Nobody can come and take you out. Nobody can rob your life and your security. The only way it happens is when we give it to them. The only way it happens is when we flinch. When the devil, the adversary brings something against us and we flinch. And we lose our confidence. We lose our faith because of what we think might be coming. And yet God, in His infinite power and and wisdom, says, Listen, if you'll just ground yourself in me, if you'll just know that I'm here, if you'll put your confidence in the eternity if you'll put your confidence in the security of what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life in me, in me, then you can have an anchor here today in your life. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Seven through ten. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, the guy that we just looked at, who came to understand the grace of God, the, the, the security that he had. I mean, he, Paul was in prison. He was, he was beaten. He himself was stoned and yet survived. And through it all, he was secure. He was confident because he knew that the God of grace was holding him, that the God of grace had him. And then here in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan to torment me three times i pleaded with the lord to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that christ's power may rest on me that is why for christ's sake i delight in weaknesses in insults in hardships in persecutions in difficulties for when i am weak I am strong. Now this scripture, we could go back and and, and debate what the thorn in the flesh is. There's there's, uh, tons of different interpretations of it. But the bottom line in this message is this. No matter what it was, God says, I got you covered. No matter what it was, he says, I got you, Paul. Don't worry about it. I got you. See, we read this, and and the problem with this is that probably the word grace is the most misused word in the Bible. We look at it and what we hear all the time is it's just unmerited favor. It's God's unmerited love for us. And yet it's so much bigger than that. See, we read this verse and and we see that Paul prayed three times, Lord, take it away from me. And he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. We read that and go, well, God just didn't answer his prayer. God just saw fit just to let him struggle on with it. But that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, listen, you prayed, but listen to me. I got this. I'll be more than you need. We hear sufficient and we think, well, I'm just getting by. You know, he'll just kind of make it through. But God's saying, I've got you covered in this. I will be more than what you need. The, the word sufficient there actually means, it, it gives the idea of God erecting a barrier. It gives the idea of God um, bringing up a, a hedge of protection around him. And so when God tells him, he says, my grace is sufficient. He's saying, I've got you. I've got you protected. And then Paul says, that's why I will boast in my weaknesses, because when I'm weak, he is strong. And it's hard to see this, hard to understand this, but, but you've got to realize that when you are weak in your marriage, God says, I'll be strong. Put your trust in me. Put your, your faith in me and let my grace rise up around you and put a hedge around you so that you can come out of this thing. 
When you're, your children, you're worried about your kids. What's going to happen? What's going to go on with them? If I didn't have faith today, there's no way I could raise kids. Yet God says, listen, just put your trust in me. I'll, I'll put my hands on them. I'll, I'll, put my, I'll put my arms around them. I'll raise up a barrier around them. With your jobs, come on, how many of us need faith with our jobs today? How many of us need to know that God says, I will put a hedge around you. I will erect barriers around you. So that even when people come against you, I will protect you. I will hold you. I will keep you, keep you uh, guarded. And so it's more than God just saying, oh, just suck it up and get through it. God's not saying that at all. He's saying, listen, I'll bring you through this. I'll, I'll help you. The problem is that so many times we try to run this race on our own. How many of you do that? How many of you get to a place where you're just going and going and going and we don't even realize it? This is the funny thing. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and we were laughing because we used to see other people who they would, they would get into a stressful situation and the next thing you know, they're holding their neck and their shoulders are hurting. And it's like, oh. And, but then we were laughing because we found ourselves in that same situation. You know, we, we, we started realizing that ourselves as we got older, we just, oh, I remember, you know, you just get to a place where your neck gets tight. You end up, you know, not sleeping and you're just laying there at night like this. Can't sleep. And, and it just happens. It's like all of a sudden it just happens and it just sort of, you just creep into it and you just take that trust in God and go, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can do it. I can handle this. I can manage and so we just start trying to do it on our own. We try to, even living for God on our own, trying to fulfill all that we think in our mind that God wants us to be. See, the, the church has hidden one thing from us in our lives. And that's the fact that you're forgiven. You are free. But see, if we, if we find out we're not guilty any longer, then all of a sudden, we're afraid, the church is afraid, well, maybe, what if they don't keep coming back? And so we operate out of this place of guilt. I remember um, when, when I first got married and I was first living for God, I, w- I was trying to you know, do my best, and I was so legalistic. I was so stinking legalistic. If I was driving down the road and it went from a 55 to a 35, I'm like, Woo! you know, I'd leave like skid marks in the road trying to get to 35. <laughs> Not going 36. Nope. You know, we could be late for, you know, whatever, and I'm just 35, 35. And I was so legalistic. I mean, everything was to a T. And I remember sitting up there in Waynesboro. We lived in Waynesboro. My wife went to school at MCG. I came down here to Statesboro to work. And and we were sitting at the table in Waynesboro. And I remember us having a conversation about something that happened. And I I just remember it made me so mad because I didn't, listen now, I didn't feel like this other person was living the way that they should live. I didn't feel like they were. And she said, Brandon, but it's okay. It's, you know, God, God can handle it. And I remember that night, I slammed my hand down on the table, like plates, we're eating dinner, plates on the table, glasses, cups, and I slammed my hand down on the table. I said, it's not okay. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you're like, ooh, ooh. You know, you just know that someone right about that. And man, God just really checked my heart. And I began to realize, I was like, I can't live this way. And I got to this place where I finally realized it's either by God's grace or it's not at all. I finally got to a place where I realized I've either got to live by God's grace or I'm just not even going to be able to live this life. I can't do this. And Paul had run into the same thing. But he found the grace of God that gives us strength to do the things. He said, I've worked harder than any man. He said, yet not I, 
but the grace of God that is with me. Paul told the, uh, the church, he said, listen, I'm a, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I held to the law. I was zealous for the law. I did everything right. And yet in the end, it, it meant nothing for me. It was, it was, it was dung. It was rubbish. It, it brought me nothing. And yet he says, when I come into the knowledge of Christ, then I find my strength. And so through the grace of God, he's able to carry on. And I'll tell you, people, we've got to stop operating out of a place of guilt and stop operating in a place of grace. We can't do it out of guilt. Jesus did not come and die so that he could guilt us into living for him. He came and died so that we would see the love of God, that he would fill us with the spirit of grace, and we'd be able to work out of that. The point of it is not to just live under this this thought that God's going to smack me upside the head if I do something wrong. If we do that, we'll never make it. The thing that we've got to realize is that if I'll get as close to God as I can, He'll fill me with His Spirit. The Spirit of grace will come into my life, and I'll be able to live the life that He's called me to live. But I can't do it on my own. And neither can you. And so we just wear ourselves out. We run ourselves thin. As if life does not bring enough against us. We've got to get into this place of knowing the God of grace. We've got to get into this place of being empowered by the grace of God. It's so much bigger than just forgiveness. I mean, that's huge. That'd be enough to know you're forgiven. But it's also the empowerment of God in your life to live the way He wants you to live. To do the things that He wants you to do. And when we begin to do that, we're able to see. We're able to know. We're able to... To, to finish the race that God's called us to. Listen, we can't do it apart from Him. He set it up that way. We've got to do it as He empowers us to go forward. We've got to do it as He equips us to go forward. And it's through the power of His grace. I want to read one more scripture to you and we're going to finish up. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. It says this. Actually, 3, 12, 3, 15. I'm sorry. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now listen, this is the man who stood there and made sure that the stoning of Stephen was done in the right way. I mean, literally. He was there to make sure the witnesses throw first, then everybody else gets an opportunity. I mean, that's what he was doing. And this is the man who says, listen, I know I'm the chief of all sinners. I know I have screwed it up. And yet he says, I am going on. I am moving forward. I'm leaving that behind. And I'm pressing on towards the the call, the upward call in Christ Jesus. Today I just leave you with this question. How are you going to finish? How are you going to finish with God? Are you going to go and depend on the God of grace? Maybe today he's revealing himself to you for the first time. I don't know. Maybe today uh, your life is just being blown to and fro by every wind that comes along. The storms of life are raging. And today God's saying, listen, if you will anchor yourself in my grace, 
I can help you there. Or maybe you've just been going along and you're just tired and you're worn out. And you just don't think I can press, I can't press on one more day. I can't keep going like this. I can't do it. And God says, listen, my grace is sufficient. My grace will do more for you than you could ever imagine. And when it comes upon you, he says, supernaturally, I will empower you to finish the race. And so that's our awesome opportunity today. That's our awesome uh, privilege today as children of God. The grace of God. That we can walk in it. Listen, I don't know about you, but I, there are things I just need God's grace on. It. But I know today that I, I can leave that with Him. No matter what the week's been like, the month's been like, the year's been like, I can leave that with Him, and He'll take it, and I can continue on. Amen?